Good morning. Can everyone hear me okay? Thank you, Max, for that worship. It was, it was amazing. Worthy is a king who conquered the grave, right? That's our hope. Thank you for having me be able to speak today despite my family's circumstances. Um, I felt like it was a message God gave me months ago, not knowing how it would dovetail with the death of my mom. But hopefully that just makes it more genuine and real. But I did want to wish you all a happy Mother's Day. Um, any early risers, any mothers who already got their Mother's Day cards today? I see a couple hands. <laughs> so I, w- I went to the store for my own mom looking to buy her a Mother's Day card, and I was struck by how sappy and idealistic some of them can be. Um, they use superlatives, right? Like exaggerated expressions, right? You are always this way forever, right? Or you're never this way, right? Um, here's a few of my favorite ones. This is a British one. It says, my mummy, you are my super mom in the whole world. You always protect me with your magic touch and mighty hands. You never let me down. Happy Mama's Day. So that's a British one. Another one I saw, a mother's heart is caring and always ready to love. A mother's heart always listens, no matter how big the problem is. A mother's heart supports without question. It simply offers what is needed in the moment. This is my favorite one, the mominator. <laughs> she can be anywhere and everywhere, and sometimes even two places at once. She can read the minds and hearts of the people she loves most. And she will do whatever it takes to ensure her family's happiness. Mom, you are the sweetest and strongest hero there is. And the last one I'll read is one that talks about the topic I'm going to be speaking on today, which says, Mom, how can I possibly thank you enough to the one who made me whole, the one to whom I owe my life, the forming of my soul, the one who made such sacrifices to always put me first? So I have to say, I don't, I don't know what I'm getting today. If I receive a car like one of these, my first thought is I'm so thankful, like, that my kids would even think of me that way. <laughs> but in my heart, I know I fall short from those descriptions. I know I'm not always this or forever this. Um, you know, I'm grateful if they feel that way, but I know what's going on in my heart. But essentially, these cards are speaking about sacrificial love. And that's really what we celebrate on Mother's Day. Mothers are known for sacrificial love, right? So I want to bring our attention to a story in the Bible. It says, James and John, this is at the end of Jesus' life, they came to him. Do you remember what they asked Jesus? They said, Jesus, can we, when you come into your kingdom, can we sit on your right hand and your, your left side? Um, and then the other disciples heard him and got angry, right? So in essence, they were asking for a place of honor. They were looking for recognition. They thought in Jesus' kingdom they would be served. And Jesus replied to them in Mark 10, was this, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be the first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So what James and John, and by implication all the other disciples who got angry, what they wanted is the honor and glory recognition to be served, but Jesus said no, what you really need is to serve and give up your lives for others. So in this message, I'm calling that the great exchange, how we die to ourselves and instead take up the opportunity to serve other people, the great exchange. So it's basically loving someone sacrificially, if I define it, is loving when it's hard. 
Sometimes it's easy to love, it's, it comes naturally. Other times it's hard, it's really hard. And you have to go from being self-focused to others focused. As far as this dying to yourself goes, in Luke chapter nine, he says, Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. So when we sacrificially love other people, we're actually dying to ourselves and following after Jesus. So I have a fun illustration of what I'm, I'm getting at here. And I'm looking for a volunteer. Come help me. See, any volunteers? See? Well, let me... Oh, okay, come on up, Suzanne. Sorry. So, come on up. So what we're going to do is play a little game that used to be on TV when I was little. This is a, a game called Let's Make a Deal. Does anybody remember that show? It's so fun. So basically, the contestant, I'm going to have you come on this side, will be giving something small, um, something of moderate value, and they, they, would, they would look at it and they would have to decide, is this worth exchanging for something unknown, right? This is completely unknown. It's a gamble. They could, she could get something so much better, or they could get something really bad. And it's a total gamble. You have no idea if it's going to be worth it. So <clears throat> what happens sometimes, well, let me get my, oh, shoot, I forgot my phone. Anyway, um, so they play this. So if, if she would open this up and it was a really bad gift, they would play this song, or not song, a, a little jingle, and they go, wah, 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 wah. Um, so that would be called a zonk. So you either got a really good prize or you got a zonk, okay? And zonks were unwanted booby prizes, okay? And they're so funny. You can, if you go online and look at Let's Make a Deal zonks, there's all these great video clips. There's one, it, they pull the curtain back and it's a gorilla eating a monkey, uh, banana. Or it could be a giant bucket with, like, says, buck of the chicken with a chicken in it, or uh, a, a pile of junky furniture, a, an old car, a giant mousetrap. One I saw was bicycles that had um, <clears throat> handlebar, handlebars going in two opposite directions, like completely <laughs> worthless. So anyway, so we're going to play this little game with Suzanne. I'll just bring this over a little bit into the, the viewing. So here, you may open this, this is your envelope, and you can tell everybody what you have. I'll stand close to you so they can hear you. Mm, I got money. Okay, so how much, how much is in your envelope? I got $5. $5, okay, okay. So she needs to decide, is it, that, that, that's a lot of money, I don't know. <laughs> Five boxes of candy. And there you go, seven. that's right. So. You can keep that, or you can take a gamble. I don't know if it'll be worth it or not. What do you think? <laughs> what should I do? <laughs> I'll take a gamble, and I'll go for it. Okay, I kind of figured you might. Okay, so are you ready? I'm, I'm, I'm now the lady revealing the curtain. Okay, ready? Wah, 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 wah. <laughs> well, come on over, see if there's anything in it. <laughs> Doesn't it look? <laughs> it's rumpled and taped, and it's, ooh, there's a little something inside. What is this little thing? Oh, it has a Chick-fil-A Yeah. Oh, so, so was that worth it? Was it worth the gamble? Yeah. 
Yes. So I'll keep the five dollars. You can keep that. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> So I'll be using that illustration as we go forward. Um, but sometimes when we're called to love someone sacrificially, we look at it and we have the same sort of dilemma, like, is this really worth it? If I, if I give up my desire, my personal agenda, what, my comfort, am I really going to get anything out of this that benefits me, right? Maybe you think it's more appealing and personally advantageous to hold on to my personal comfort and agenda. We think, if I love this person, is it really going to be worth the cost that it's going to require of me? So what I want to say today, with God, an exchange is always a win. There's never any doubt ahead of time. Jesus is telling us to say no to what our selfish nature wants to do, our personal agenda, which is truly just temporary in the moment, and yes to what God is calling us to do, again, called the great exchange. Uh, there was a phrase in a song by Rich Mullins. I love Rich Mullins when, uh, when I was younger. And it was a song called Susan Said. And in that, that song, it said, love is found in the things we have given up more than in the things we have kept. And that really struck me when I was listening to that a few months ago. And that's when I believe God gave me this message about sacrificial love. So love is found in the things we've given up more than in the things we have kept. And this is really the, the sentiment, I think, that Mother's Day cards are aiming at, right? Mothers constantly sacrifice out of love for their children. Now, Jesus knows exactly, when he calls us to die to ourselves, he knows exactly what he's talking about. He gave up so much out of his great love for us. And I'm going to read a passage which was just read recently in one of our messages here. But this is Philippians 2, 5 to 8. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So Jesus was the ultimate example of the great exchange, right? He emptied himself. He made himself nothing. He gave up his divine privileges. So the question is, well, what, what exactly did Jesus exchange? What did he give up? So I want to point that out. Um, these are the things that Jesus gave up on our behalf. And there may be more. These are just the three that I'm speaking on today. But the first is, he gave up his position his right to be served. He gave up recognition, right? He wasn't seeking glory for himself. It, the glory was for his father. So he gave up the right to be recognized, to have recognition. The other thing Jesus gave up was his personal will. And it says in John 6:38, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. So Jesus basically, he took all of this, his position, his, his recognition, his personal will, and he, he, he like left them in heaven, and instead he came down and he picked up a towel, which is the symbol of how Jesus loved us, right? When he washed the disciples' feet. Such humility to be able to do that. 
So that's what Jesus gave up, and instead he took up humility. As we read earlier, just to remind you, in Mark 10, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be the first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So the gospel message, when we think about it, that Jesus died, he rose again to defeat the power of sin and death, it would have been impossible without the great exchange happening initially, right? He had to give up his personal will and submit himself to the Father's will out of his great love for us. Just want to point out two verses that talk about how Jesus submitted his will to the Father's will. In Luke 22, 42, when Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. And then a little later, just after he prayed that by himself, and the soldiers came, and Peter cut the ear off the high priest's servant's ear, right? And they came to arrest Jesus. Um, and Jesus kind of rebuked him in Matthew 26. He said, do you not think I can call my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how scripture be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? So Jesus basically said, like, what are you doing? I could save myself if I wanted to, but it's not my will, it's my father's will. So again, another way to looking at the gospel message is through the lens of the great exchange. Jesus gave up his desire to be spared suffering, right? It was clear, he prayed that he didn't want to experience that suffering, but he exchanged that desire. He gave up the use of his divine power to save himself. And he submitted himself to the Father's will. So he surrendered himself to provide us great gain. And in like, we are told to surrender our lives, and in turn, we will gain life. Again, in Luke 9, it is said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, just like Jesus did, take up their cross daily and follow me, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. So at this point, I just want to invite you, if you have never surrendered your life to Jesus, this is your opportunity. And I want you to think of it as a a different great exchange, right? It's a win-win situation. So where you take your guilt and sin, You take your fears and your failures, you give them to Jesus, and in return, you get forgiveness, you get a brand new start, and you get God's Holy Spirit living inside you to empower you to live in a way that pleases him. Is that not a win-win situation? You get rid of the absolute worst in your life, and Jesus gives you the absolute best. And I can't think of a better deal than that. So when we're challenged to love other people sacrificially, we need to think we actually need to make the same sort of exchange that Jesus did. So what does our great exchange look like as followers of Jesus? We're actually told to give up three of the same similar things that Jesus did. We're asked to give up our position, our attitudes of superiority, our desire to be served, and be willing to restrict our desires for the sake of others. So first, we are called to give up our desire to be served. And like Jesus, we are being asked not to seek glory for ourselves when we love someone sacrificially. We are to give up our desire for recognition. And finally, we are being asked to filter all our actions through the question of, what does my Heavenly Father want me to do in this situation? So we are 
told to give up a desire for our own personal wills and follow after what God has shown us to do. So we take all of these, our personal will, our desire for recognition, the desire to be served, we give them to God and we exchange it for a towel. And that is how God wants us to live out our Christian life. And as far as what we receive in return when we do that, we'll get to that in a bit, but just how much God blesses us when we do that. So let me take this a step further. How do we love others? Like I said, sometimes it's not so easy to love certain people, but sometimes people are kind of unlovely, right? <laughs> or we think, they don't really deserve my sacrificial efforts, right? This is real, really where the rubber meets the road, where the ultimate test lies. And, and why is this? Well, as Jesus offered himself up as a living sacrifice to die for our sins once and for all, just like we've been learning in our Hebrew series, we too are called to be living sacrifices, having our focus on dying to ourselves and loving others. And this is a statement I want us to think about. Our sacrificial love for others is a response of worship to him who laid down his life for us. So it's not just a secular, do something nice for somebody, even if they're difficult. This is God sacrificed himself for us. Therefore, out of worship to him for all that he did for us, I am going to die to myself and love others in the same way. It's, it's a very different dynamic here. These thoughts are reflected in Romans 12:1, which says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. And again, in 1 John 4, 19, we love, why? Because he first loved us, not because we're a do-gooder. Because God first loved us, we love other people. Here's a quote from a man named C.T. Studd. I loved him. He was the founder of the mission agency WEC that my husband and I served with many years ago. His famous quote has always stuck with me. If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice is too great for me to make for him. And that includes the sacrifice of our desires and our comfort in the moment, right? So in the end, it's God whom we are serving more than the people we're actually sacrificing for. So we think, oh, well, I'm, I'm doing something for this person. But in the end, we're ultimately sacrificing and serving and worshiping the Lord. So it's as if we're looking, so if there's a, a person that you're trying to love sacrificially, and it's really hard sometimes, picture Jesus standing behind that person. So you're, you're serving Jesus ultimately. It's, that person isn't like the end game. You're going past that person, and you're serving the Lord. And you can see this in Matthew 25. It's a long parable about the sheep and the goats, but at the end of it, Jesus summarizes, and he says, the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you have done to the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. So when, when you're challenged to love someone sacrificially, when it's really hard, picture Jesus standing behind them, because that's who you're really serving, beyond the person. So let me mention a few points that I had. Um, the first one was about interruptions. To me, I find this is the hardest thing about loving sacrificially. I think we all know what an interruption is. I think it's interesting, though, to look at the definition of interrupting. It means to stop the continuous progress of an activity. So we're in the middle of doing one thing, and something else breaks in and causes a disruption. 
you think about it, Jesus had the ultimate disruption, right? He was with his Father in heaven. He was in a place of honor and authority when it came time to fulfill his Father's will, to empty himself, to come to earth, to carry out God's plan of salvation, like we mentioned earlier. He embraced this ultimate interruption wholeheartedly. Jesus never did this begrudgingly. It was the ultimate interruption, how Jesus left heaven and came to earth. And did you ever know this, that when you're called to die to yourself and love someone, it's never convenient? <laughs> it's never comfortable, right? It, it's, it usually comes up spontaneously, and then we, we, you have to respond in the moment, right? So a simple example, so if I'm at home, I just kind of created a really nice snack for myself, kind of used up the last of the ingredients, sitting down, ready to enjoy it, and then one of my kids are like, Oh, can I have some? Why you got to be kidding me? Um, so that's, a little, that's just a little taste, like, am I going to give up my personal desires here and share with somebody, right? That's just a little thing. A larger example was recently when I got a phone call that my mom had fallen and broken her hip. And that just immediately interrupted our, our entire family's life and set into a, you know, motion a, a ton of different things, unexpected things. So interruptions can be large, they can be small, but they reveal what's going on in our hearts when they happen. And I admit, I'm a task-oriented person. I'm guessing there's a lot of you here that way. When you're interrupted, it can feel very frustrating. And it can even be disorienting, right? Because you've, you've got your schedule, you've got to, 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 you know, you're ready to go this way. So I'm focused on the task at hand. I have a goal in mind. I see I got the time to complete it, and then bam, right, interruption. And to me, this is probably the hardest part of loving sacrificially, is when my expectations of how things are going to go get totally you know, put off to the side, and I have to make that mental shift. Um, so it's hard to change directions mid-course, right? So Philippians 2 challenges us on this. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. There's a quote that I heard years ago that always stuck with me. I think I've shared it a few times with Bible study. It's by a theologian named Henry Nowen, and he's quoted as saying, my whole life I have been complaining that my work was constantly interrupted until I discovered that my interruptions were my work. Like, oh, that's so convicting. The interruptions were my work. So there's a lot of examples in the Bible, actually, of interruptions. One example I'll give you is in the story of the uh, book of Acts, chapter 3. James, um, sorry, Peter and John are on their way to the temple to pray. And all of a sudden, they're interrupted. There's a man who's been lame since birth, sitting there, calling out for money, right? So, so they're on their way to do a good thing, right? They're going to the temple to pray. That's a God-honoring thing. But they have to kind of set that aside and deal with the interruption right? So if you recall the story, they used the opportunity to heal the man. And he's, they're like, I don't have any money to give to you. I'll give you what I have, though. And what I have, uh, you know, is power in the name of Jesus. And the man was healed. Like, so he used that opportunity to bring this amazing miracle. But they could have easily said, oh, no, 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 I'm on the way. I'm going to pray. You know, it's such a cool opportunity. So the, you have to say, why did the disciples uh, respond that way? 
I think one of the reasons was they seen Jesus being interrupted time and time and time again and the way that Jesus responded. Here are some examples. Jesus is in the middle of a crowd speaking to them, and then all of a sudden a paralyzed man drops down through the roof, right? Like, that's, I think you'd agree that's spontaneous and, and not expected, right? So he didn't just keep on teaching and ignore the man. No, he stopped. He spoke with the man and healed the man. Another time, Jesus is sleeping in the boat. The disciples wake him up because of a great storm. Jesus gets up, immediately calms the storm. Uh, another time, Jesus, Jesus got up very early in the morning by himself. He went off to a solitary place to pray. His disciples tracked him and sit down, right, and said, where have you been? Everyone's looking for you. This, this what cracks me up every time I read it. it. It feels like a mom, right? So you go off, whether it's to the bathroom or somewhere else, to have a few solitary minutes, and you're like, Arr. what are you doing in there? I've been looking for you. I need something, right? Another interruption was Jesus was traveling with his disciples, and a blind man like, called out to be healed from the side of the road. Jesus stopped walking, turned, and he healed the blind man. And this is my absolute favorite. It's when Jesus' interruption was even interrupted. So let me tell you about that example. So Jesus was in the middle of speaking to a crowd, and a man named Jairus, who was a synagogue leader, came to Jesus, and he begged him, to heal his son, who was demon-possessed. Oh, I'm sorry. That's a different story. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting there. He was in, the, sorry, um, to heal his 12-year-old daughter, who was dying. So he was speaking. Jairus came and said, can you heal my daughter? We believe she's dying. So, she, so that's interruption number one. So then Jesus walking to Jairus' house, and while he's walking, a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years reached out to his robe and touches his robe and was healed and Jesus stopped again and I'm sure Jairus was like what are you doing you know my daughter's but he stopped in the middle of the most critical interruption had a second interruption and he dealt with the woman kindly so and as as of note he did eventually make it to Jairus's house and the daughter was healed kind of sounds like the day of a typical mother, right? You, you get interrupted by one, and then another kid comes, and before you know it, it you're all, all your plans have, have blown, out, blown up out of the water, right? So sometimes you have interruption after interruption, sometimes an interruption within an interruption. So in all these examples of Jesus, we see when was he interrupted? When he was busy teaching, when he was asleep, when he was talking with someone, when he was traveling, when he was enjoying some time by himself. So it was pretty much interrupted during anything you could think of, right? And the bottom line is some of the most amazing miracles and accounts of what Jesus did were the result of him being interrupted. So he was never thrown off by these interruptions, right? He didn't lose his temper. He didn't whine and complain like I can. But he uses each opportunity as a golden, a golden opportunity to carry out his Father's will. So my question is, what, what if we saw interruptions differently, you know, that we saw them as a gift? And rather than resisting them out of frustration, we saw them as an opportunity to be open to God and to be a channel that, that for God to love through us to somebody. Let me go back to this quote that I said earlier by Henry Nouwen. He said, my whole life I've been complaining that my work was constantly interrupted until I discovered that my interruptions were my work. Well, he went on to write, it has been the interruptions to my everyday life 
that have most revealed to me the mystery of which I am a part. All these interruptions presented themselves as opportunities, invited me to look in a new way at my identity before God, and pay attention to this part. Each interruption took something away, right, like here, but each interruption offered something new. Basically, the great exchange that we've been talking about. I also want to share a quote <clears throat> by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. For those of you who know, he was a kind of famous theologian in Germany who ended up dying at the hands of the Nazi regime. And he said, we must be ready to allow ourselves to be interrupted by God. And boy, was his life ever interrupted, if you're able to read about it. So he said, we must be ready to allow ourselves to be interrupted by God. And I think the neat part about that quote is, we look at, like, this person interrupted me. But we need to have a bigger view. Like, no, God's sovereign, and he allowed that interruption. So in a sense, again, like earlier I said, looking beyond the person, God's involved there, and his sovereignty is there. So it's not just the person or the circumstance, but, but God's at work in those circumstances. His sovereignty is present. So keep that in mind when these things happen. Here's kind of an example I want to share from my own life. So a couple years ago, we were down at my father's house for Thanksgiving, and you know, kind of all the relatives gather at Thanksgiving, and um, we were sitting there watching TV, and my sister Andrea was like, would you mind going upstairs and getting me whatever? And I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I go up the stairs, I brought it down, I gave it to her, and a couple of minutes later, she's like, oh, I forgot something, can you get me this? I'm like, okay, and I go back upstairs, and I bring it down. And she did it another time as well. <laughs> I went up and down, up and down. And my other sister later, she's just like, I can't believe you were so gracious, you know, getting all that stuff for Andrea. Um, you know, it just, it felt very inconvenient. I had to give up my comfort on the couch, get off my bum, right, and help her. But you know, that was the last Thanksgiving I ever had with her. And I didn't know it at the time. I'm like, how petty would I feel now if I look back on that and didn't serve her in that way, right? And give up my comfort for a couple minutes to go get something for her? Like, when I would, I would feel a lot of regret and pettiness and a lot of sadness. I'm thankful and grateful that I had that opportunity to serve her in such a small way. So my question is, why does it sometimes take something so drastic, and in this case, the imminent death of somebody, to motivate us to love sacrificially. Like, a lot of people want to jump in and help, like, oh, people are at the end of their life, I can, let me do whatever I can do, which is great. But like, we should have the mentality all the time. So the end of the day, do we want the joy of the Lord, knowing that we love someone when it was hard? Or do we want regret that we turned our back on the opportunities that God gave us? My second point I called set up to fail or tested and empowered to love. So maybe at this point you're thinking, man, I can't wait to get home. When my kids interrupt me, I'm going to be so kind and I'm going to address them. Or like you, you have these grand ideas of how this is going to go, right? But some of you might be feeling differently. Maybe right now you're thinking about your history in this area, maybe not loving so kindly or so well. Maybe you're feeling convicted. And perhaps you're feeling you're afraid to try again. Well, there's something in the business world, it's actually called the set up to fail syndrome. 
and it describes it as this. Um, have you ever gotten a feeling that your manager has it out for you? Like every project he or she sends your way is a total dud. It's almost like they don't want you to succeed. <laughs> and when I think about that, you know, maybe you're fe feeling like that in this area of sacrificial love. Like, I feel like I'm being set up to fail. Like, no matter what I do, no matter how hard I try, I'm going to come up short. You might be thinking, I, I really know God wants me to love this person sacrificially, and I want to, but I think it's just a recipe for disaster. It's just going to end up in failure like it always does. Why bother? But I want you to know, God does not send his children up to fail. Satan does that. That's his role. Satan is the one who sets us up to fail. He tempts us and he invites us into situations in order to get us to fail. Satan does not want you to experience abundant life. He wants to fill your heads instead with selfish thoughts. So in those moments when you're called to love someone that's hard, he fills your heads with thoughts like this. I need to watch out for number one, me. Or, I have a right to have my needs met and I will do everything I can to ensure that my needs met because no one else will look after me. Or, that other person doesn't deserve my service to them. They made their mess, let them lie in it. Or that other person does, doesn't deserve my service to them, they are beneath me. Or how about this one, moms? I've served enough, time for someone to serve me for a change. <laughs> Which can happen at the end of a long day, right? Um, so these thoughts don't honor God, right? And if we follow thoughts like that, they will kill our relationship and our love for other people. But while Satan sets us up to fail, God uses opportunities to serve others as a way to test our faith. So he gives us opportunities, they're really opportunities where he's testing our faith, a way to grow in our faith and in our love as Jesus has loved us. Here's just two, two verses that speak of that. First Thessalonians. We are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. And Job, <clears throat> God knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. Rather than setting us up to fail, God sets us up to honor him and grow in our faith as we embrace the opportunities of service he sets before us. He gives out opportunities for us to live out our faith and trust in him. So you might be saying to the Lord, God, what you're asking me is just too hard. It's just too hard. And you know what God says to that? He says, you're right. It is. Without me. And that's what I've learned over these last couple years where loving others has been particularly hard. That it, it is impossible without God's power. So you need to ask yourself, when you try to love other people, where are you drawing your strength from, your power from? Do you have a source of strength that's limited or unlimited? So think of it like you fill up your, your gas tank, right? Costs a lot more these days, right? <laughs> you fill it up. And you have this expectation that I will never have to fill my gas tank again. I filled it up, I'm good to go forever. I mean, that would be extremely foolish. It will eventually run dry, right? And that's kind of an example of how we grit it out to love other people. So we can do it, we can go so far, our tank is gonna run dry because we are flesh, we are mortals, right? And in our own flesh, when we have this mentality, we're actually setting ourselves up to fail. We need to remember that there is nothing, nothing good in us apart from God. 
that all of our righteousness, all of our loving acts are filthy rags to God, apart from his grace and spirit working in us. It's only with his power that we can love others without limit. The only way we can have the power to overcome selfishness and sacrifice for others is with God's power. And if you remember the, in John 15, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Without me, you can bear only a little fruit. You can bear no fruit of lasting value. We have to be connected to, to God, the power source. So this was, sorry, this is the story I got confused on earlier. So there was an account where a father brought his demon-possessed son to Jesus to heal his son. So he actually first went to the disciples, and the disciples tried to heal the son, and they were unable to. So they were trying to heal, to do an act of, of goodness from their own strength, and, and they weren't able to. So the man came to Jesus, and he's like, can you, can you heal my son? And Jesus asked the father, do you, do you believe that I can use my power to free your son? And his response was, in Mark 9, immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. And in the same way here, when you're challenged to love someone who's really hard, prayer is so important. It's basically you're saying to God, God, I believe you gave me this opportunity. I believe you have the power to enable me to do it, but help me because I feel so weak and incapable. It's the same idea. Like, I believe, help me in my unbelief. I believe you can do it. I believe you can empower me, but help me, God, I'm weak. So we will fail at times. We'll fail many times, right? We will fall short at times to love sacrificially. But don't, don't let that thought paralyze you. You just ask forgiveness and keep going, doing the next right thing. 1 John 2, 1 speaks about the forgiveness God offers. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin, but if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Again, we will fail at times to love other people sacrificially. The key is running to Jesus, asking for forgiveness, surrendering once again our will for his will, and then being empowered by his spirit to move forward in faith. Another thing that can happen, apart from feeling like we're set up to fail, is sometimes we're tempted to think, I don't think the trade-off's gonna be worth it, right? That if I give up th this pleasure or my time or my resources, am I really gonna get anything in return? We think we're gonna get the big zonked, right? Wah, 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 you're a sucker, right? That's how we can sometimes think. And I know sometimes I think I've gotten zonked. <laughs> I get a phone call and my whole world has changed and um, yeah, you just, feels like a huge interruption, a huge inconvenience. And my initial thoughts are definitely not what they should be. But my third point here is that God never zonks us. Never. It's always worth it. So when I explained about the game show earlier, Let's Make a Deal, there's one part of the show I did not describe, and that is it said, on rare occasions, a contestant would appear to get zonked, but the zonk would be a cover-up for a legitimate prize, right? Kind of like Suzanne. It looked like a total zonk, a busted-up box, right? So sometimes they thought they got zonked, but there was an example. Like, for example, they had an old washer and dryer in one of these videos. And they're like, oh, I got a, you know, obviously a zonk. It's a broken-down washer and dryer. 
but inside was a pair of jeans, and inside that pair of jeans was a pile of cash. Okay? But it didn't look like that initially. It looked like they totally got zonked. Okay? So we need to remember that while it may appear that we're getting zonked, that, that's not what God does to us. So the, an example of, of this, um, like I said, I get these, well, I used to often get these phone calls, particularly regarding my mom, and my first, my first reaction was panic. Like, oh my gosh. Like, and then my, my next thought is, are you kidding me, God? Are you kidding me? And then after that, no, not now, Lord. Don't you see all the important things I'm in the middle of doing? And then there's a pause. And the pause can be very brief, or it can take a couple hours sometimes. And in that pause, I start to pray. Ask God my attitude and empower me with his spirit. Hopefully, not always, but usually, move forward in action, loving someone sacrificially, trusting God to bless it in some way. So sometimes my attitude changes before I act in obedience. Sometimes my attitude doesn't change until after I've done it. But I'm never at a point where I wish I didn't do it. God will bless you when you love other people sacrificially. If you look at Luke verse 6, and we'll, uh, it says, Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So how gracious God is to promise that you will never get songed, even if it doesn't turn out the way you hope. There's always blessing in mind. So what are some of the blessings we can experience now when we love other people? We have the joy of being used by God. We're being made more in the image of Jesus. We have a greater understanding of the enormous sacrifice that Jesus made for us. We gain a godly perspective which takes the, our eyes off of ourselves and onto others. We have amazement that God's power can be displayed in my weakness. Peace that we can serve others while entrusting my own needs to God. We see our faith grow as God works through these acts of service. And the Bible says, when we love others, it covers a multitude of sins. So they are just some of the blessings that we can experience in the here and now. In the future, listen to what Matthew 6 says about future blessings of loving sacrificially. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So remember what Jesus said, whatever you've done to the least of these, you've done to me. So God never zonks us. There's always a blessing there. We may not see it right away, but it's always there. So in conclusion, I want to end with a, a few things, but the, there's a statement I've heard a number of times from people who are, who are in ministry. Uh, my husband and I were in full-time ministry a while back, but um, it's ministry would be easy if it wasn't for people, right? <laughs> that that's, makes us laugh, but in a sense, when you think about it in, in, the con in this context, it's basically, well, loving sacrificially would be easier if the person wasn't so hard to love, right? If the person wasn't so difficult. 
But I have news for you all. We are all difficult people at times, right? And all of us appreciate being loved when we are at our worst. And that's what Jesus did for us. In Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So he loved us, sacrificed for us when we were at our worst. So don't wait for others to deserve any act of service, but love them when they are at their worst because that's what Christ did for us. So there's really only three things you can do when you're confronted with an opportunity that God puts before you. The first one is you can reject the opportunity, right? You can choose your own way. You can prioritize your comfort and your time. But you know what? You're going to miss honoring God and the blessing that he had in store for you. Second, we can serve in our own strength. Like I mentioned earlier, we can kind of grit through it and put on a fake smile, right? If you think of 1 Corinthians 13, that's the classic love passage, right? Love is patient, love is kind. Well, right before that, it says, basically, if we do all these things for God but don't have love, we are nothing and we gain nothing. So that's what this is speaking of. It's really just pride in disguise, right? When we muscle through it, we're bringing attention to ourselves. We're not giving up our need for recognition, but we're, we're drawing attention to ourselves. We're the third option, which is what we're seeing right now is about the great exchange. And to put it very simply, going back to 1 John, we love because he first loved us. That's the great exchange. So at the end here, I just wanted to mention a few comments about my mom and how this relates to this message. A couple months ago, I felt God gave me this topic, not knowing where I would be today. It has been a complicated, challenging journey to love her sacrificially for many years, particularly from the day when she moved into my house, lived with us for a couple years, various emotional and medical challenges, going to a senior living facility and continuing to support her in numerous ways. There were many times I felt frustrated, alone, and imposed upon. But as best I knew how, truly only with God's strength, crying out to him for help many times over, and asking friends to pray for me, God enabled me to keep dying to myself and persevere in loving her sacrificially. And I want to say that there's a deep joy that comes from knowing that while I didn't do it perfectly, I don't have any regret for all the sacrifices we made, not just me, my whole family. No regrets. And one key verse that was my motivator during that time, I thought about this so many times, very simple, yet again, the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. If the situation was reversed, how would I want to be cared for and treated? Not feel like an imposition, right? So my mom's greatest fear in our whole life was being alone and dying alone. So how good it was, though, hard but good, to sacrifice my time, my sleep, and my comfort the last week to spend her last days with her at the hospital and usher her into the arms of Jesus and into the presence of our loved ones who have gone before her. 
so hard but so good. And that's what loving other people sacrificially is. As a side note, the way we choose to love other people doesn't just impact me and the other person. It sets an example for other people, either positively or negatively, for those who are watching us. My prayer is that my children and others who saw my sacrificial love for my mom would motivate them to do likewise to others. I don't say that out of any sense of pride. I really don't, because I know at times the ugliness that was in my heart. But I say this out of humility and joy that my Heavenly Father enabled me to live in such a way, to love her. Another thing to note is that sometimes loving sacrificially uh, may need to be a joint effort. You may need to enlist the help of other people if it's particularly hard. Don't be afraid to do that. So Paul, at the end of his life, in 2 Timothy 4, 7, he, re- he looked back on his life and he said, you know, I have fought the fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. I have a similar feeling now that my mom is in heaven, a sense of completion and no regrets. Again, there is great joy and profound peace when we die to ourselves out of love for God and others. So in other words, thank God for how he has lavished his love on us through a sacrifice of Jesus. Entrust your needs to him. Don't worry about your needs being met. Entrust them to him. And then ask his Holy Spirit to empower you to meet the needs of others. And that is our great exchange. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you that you empower us to do the impossible, to be loving and kind when there's nothing in us that speaks of that. Thank you that when we are weak and when we fail, you step in and you forgive us and you put us back on our feet and you help us to move forward. Thank you for your forgiveness, Lord, for when we do think of ourselves and when we're selfish. Lord, speak to each person here today. Show them who you want them to reach out to and and how to go about that, Lord. Give them wisdom and a desire to love it in the way that you have loved us. Thank you, Lord, for the mothers who are here and the way they sacrifice day in and day out. Help it to be a day that honors them. I pray for those who are here who may have a, a difficult relationship with their mother, that you will bring healing to that relationship. Thank you, Lord, that you loved us when we are at our worst. Thank you, Jesus, for doing, making the ultimate great exchange. We pray this in your name. Amen.